Welcome everyone to episode 56 of Ohio Unsolved. I'm your host Matthew, and I've got another murder on Christmas for you, but in this one, we're going all the way back to 1929. This is also the last episode of 2022. I just wanted to say thank you to everyone for listening. When I started this podcast in October of 2021, I had no idea what would happen. I didn't know if anyone would listen at all. It took me until New Year's Eve of last year to hit my first 1,000 plays. And this week, I hit 30,000 total plays. A number that I never knew if I would ever hit. I'm nowhere near able to do this full time. But I'm still hoping that one day I will be able to do that. Again... Thank you everyone for listening and helping me reach this milestone of 30,000 total plays. You are all awesome. But enough of that, let's just get right into the episode. Everyone sit back, make sure to lock your doors and windows, and get ready for Ohio Unsolved. The murder of the Lawson family took place in Germantown, North Carolina on December 25, 1929. Sharecropper Charles Davis Lawson murdered his wife and six of his seven children. In 1911, Charles Lawson married Fanny Manning, with whom he had eight children. The third, William, born in 1914, died of an illness in 1920. In 1918, following the move of his younger brothers, Marion and Elijah, to the Germantown area, Charles followed suit with his family. The Lawsons worked as tenant tobacco farmers, saving enough money by 1927 to buy their own farm. In 1929, days prior to Christmas, Charles Lawson took Fanny, his wife, and their seven children, Arthur, Marie, Carrie, James, Raymond, and Mary Lou, into town to buy new clothes and to have a family portrait taken. This would have been an unusual occurrence for a working-class rural family of the area, which has led to speculations that Lawson's act was premeditated. Lawson, having purchased his own farm two years previous, however, 
together with the fact that an associated press wire that went out on the day of the murders characterized Lawson as a, quote, well-to-do farmer, would make a pre-Christmas shopping spree appear reasonable. On the afternoon of December 25th, Charles first shot his daughters, Carrie and Maybelle, as they were setting out to their uncle and aunt's house. He waited for them by the tobacco barn until they were in range. He shot them with a 12-gauge shotgun, then ensured that they were dead by bludgeoning them. He placed the bodies in the tobacco barn. After killing his daughters, Charles returned to the house and shot his wife, Fanny, who was on the porch. As soon as the gun was fired, Marie, who was inside, screamed, and the two small boys, James and Raymond, attempted to find a hiding place. Charles found and shot Marie and then killed the two boys. Lastly, he killed the youngest, Mary Lou. It is thought that she was bludgeoned to death. After the murders, he went to the nearby woods and several hours later shot himself. The only survivor was his oldest son, 16-year-old Arthur who he had sent on an errand just before committing the murders. The bodies of the family members were found with their arms crossed and rocks under their heads. The gunshot signaling Charles' own suicide was heard by many of the people who had already learned of the murders on the property and gathered there. A police officer who was with Arthur ran down to discover Charles' body along with letters to his parents. As footprints encircled the tree, it was supposed that he was pacing around the tree prior to taking his life. Months before the event, Charles had sustained a head injury. Some of his family and friends theorized that it had altered his mental state and was related to the massacre. However, an autopsy and analysis of his brain at Johns Hopkins Hospital found no abnormalities. It was not until the book White Christmas, Bloody Christmas was published in 1990 that a claim of Charlie sexualizing, sexually abusing Marie surfaced. Beginning with an anonymous source who had heard a rumor during a tour of the Lawson home shortly after the murders. The day before the book was to be published, the author received a phone call from Stella Lawson, a relative who had already been interviewed for the book. Stella said that she had overheard Fanny's sister-in-law and aunts, including Stella's mother, Jetty Lawson, discussing how Fanny had confided in them that she had been concerned about an incestuous relationship between Charlie and Marie. Jetty died in early 1928, meaning Fanny had been suspicious of the incest at least that long before the murders in late 1929. More support for this theory was revealed in The Meaning of Our Tears, published by the same author in 2006. A close friend of Marie Lawson, Ella May, came forward and disclosed that a few weeks before Christmas in 1929, Marie confided in her that she was pregnant by her own father and that both he and Fanny knew about this. Another close friend and neighbor to the Lawson family, Hill Hampton, 
stated that he knew of serious problems going on within the family, but he declined to elaborate. Shortly after the murders, Charlie's brother, Marion Lawson, opened the home on Brook Cove Road as a tourist attraction. A cake that Marie had baked on Christmas Day was displayed on the tour, because visitors began to pick at the raisins on the cake to take as souvenirs it was placed in a covered glass cake saver for many years. The event inspired a number of songs and other tributes, including the murder ballad, The Murder of the Lawson Family, which was originally recorded by the Carolina Buddies for Columbia Records in 1930. The Lawsons were laid to rest in a family graveyard established in 1908. Originally, for the use of the W.D. Browder family and selected friends and neighbors. Today, it is open for burials only for direct descendants of W.D. Browder, owning a limited plot availability. Arthur Lawson was killed in a 1945 motor accident at the age of 31, leaving a wife and four children. I don't understand how someone can kill their entire family. I guess that head injuries are something more serious than some people make them out to be. No matter how minor you think one is, get it checked out. You never know what kind of damage it has really caused. Our next story comes from YourGhostStories.com. I haven't used them in a few weeks, so I figured I'd include some here since this first story was on the shorter side. The story begins late in the night, very early morning after midnight, January 1st, 1977. I was eight years old at the time. I would turn nine at the end of January that year. My mother, brother, and myself were living in the basement apartment of my grandmother's house. We were all sound asleep when we are suddenly awakened by shrieking from upstairs where my grandmother lives. We were all three woken up we head up the stairs running. My grandmother is on her knees on the kitchen floor, on the phone, shrieking and crying. My mother moves towards my grandma and gently takes the phone from her. She speaks into the phone. My uncle is on the line. He tells my mother that my cousin Kenny has been killed in an accident by a drunk driver. He was only 17 years old. This instance begins the inward collapse of a portion of my family. The house is in chaos at night. My mother tells me and my brother what happened. My brother, who was just seven at the time, is distraught. Once it begins to dawn on me what has happened, I immediately curse God and fall to the floor, blacking out. My cousin was a source of so much joy and love in our family, and my brother and I fiercely loved him. The wake, funeral, and burial are held over the next few days. My brother and I are not allowed to attend any of it. I tell my mother that I want to be a part of saying goodbye, but she tells me that I am just too young. Here begins, I suppose, the ghost story portion of this tale. In the basement apartment, my brother and I shared a room. His bed was near the door. My bed was against the far wall opposite the door. 
At the foot of my bed was a tall children's wardrobe. One side was a tall set of drawers. The other side was a vertical closet with a door. Since it stands at the foot of my bed, you know that I make certain every night that the closet door is shut tight. Otherwise, how is a young child to sleep? When a dark and creepy closet door ajar, I think not. So yes, I would close the door every night before I climbed beneath the covers. Then, one night, a few days after my cousin was laid to rest, I awoke in the middle of the night with the closet door open. I looked, and I saw a figure in the closet. It moved forward toward me in my bed and stopped just a few feet away from where I lay. I was not afraid. It was my cousin who had been killed. So his appearance just made me feel sad. I cried out of sadness, and he gave me a tender look. Then he began to speak to me. He told me that I should not have cursed God, that God has nothing to do with him dying. He said that it was just an accident. Then he told me that he loved me very much, and that he had come to say goodbye. I think that I told him I loved him too, and then cried some more. But I told him goodbye. We talked a bit more, but it's difficult to remember. After a while, he seems to go. I think I fell back asleep, and the next I recall, it's morning. The same scenario plays out every few nights, almost the same every time for the next month, until finally it does not happen anymore. I think this happened because my cousin was torn so quickly from his family that he needed to linger but also because I blamed God and my cousin wanted to make sure that I did not curse God for his accident. Then I think it was just because we had a special bond, he and I. I'm not sure. And no one else in my family has spoke of having similar experiences with him after he was killed. Then again, if they did, they might just be as reluctant as I am to talk about it. Kenny's death was one of the major traumas to happen to my family, so it would have been difficult to discuss real thoughts, much less talk about seeing his ghost. That's something that I've kind of always wanted to happen to for a, my great-grandmother who passed away in 2003 or my, one of my grandmothers who uh, passed away at the beginning of the year last year. Uh, to have one of them just come back just to say goodbye would... I, I think I would be scared at first, but it's, it's something that I would like... I wish that I could have experienced at some point. Now I've just got one more story for you guys, and this is also from yourghoststories.com. It was Christmas vacation, and I was spending New Year's Eve out on the countryside as I usually do. The reason I chill out there is because all my cousins and friends have the most fun when we're all hanging out together. Every year we pull pranks for entertainment, but decided not to do so this year as our New Year's resolution. So me and three of my cousins were walking around the neighborhood, and we were looking up to the skies for fireworks. 
It was a lot noisier than the previous years, since more people decided to go back into the countryside to spend time with their families. We felt so bored, since there was really nothing much to do. So, for suspense, we headed for the huge thick woods, bringing only one cell phone and a flashlight. It was 10.38, and there was still nothing to do. Even though we had already headed to the freakiest parts of the countryside, a few minutes later, one of my cousins sensed something near one of the trees. She said that she saw something which seemed like a floating entity that had bat-like wings and only had a body. Anything below was either concealed or invisible. She said that the unknown being suddenly flew away before she could identify what it actually was. There was a huge silence between the four of us, which was immediately broken when another one of my cousins started walking without telling why or what the reason was that he left us for. He came to a stop when I took a rock and threw it at him. He turned and told us to follow him to wherever he was headed. As soon as he turned around, I felt a cold chill and sweat started to run through my body. When the hair at the back of my neck straightened, I followed my cousin with the girls behind me who started to freak out and kept pestering me to take them home. As the oldest of the group, I told them that I wasn't ready to leave behind one of our cousins who was walking blindly to somewhere he has never been before, which was a stupid decision if you ask me. Meanwhile, back in my friend's house, everybody drank beer until they passed out eventually. One of them who sat on a chair was half asleep and half awake hearing scratching noises on the window right next to him. The room was dim and the light from the fireworks showed a shadowy figure behind the window, revealing the same floating entity that we saw earlier in the woods. Nervous, he slowly crept to the guys next to him, waking them up one by one, and each one freaked out about the floating shadowy figure behind the window. They managed to build up the courage to check it out, bringing knives and things to throw at the unknown visitor. Freaked out, they all went together, leaving no one inside but a huge mess from the party. Suddenly the phone rang, which happened to be one of the girls that was there with me when we went to the woods. She had told them that we were lost and afraid inside the woods, and she was begging them to come and find us. Alert, the floating entity fled, and they all ran and followed it to the woods, which was very convenient as they were headed there anyway. We finally caught up to my cousins, who stopped and started screaming at the top of his lungs. He wailed as if a ghost had suddenly appeared before him. We saw what seemed to be the missing body part of the floating creature that we had saw earlier, and all ran as fast as we could. Behind us, we heard hard flapping noises and strong gusts of winds that prevented us from going any further, since we were all scared to death. Me and my cousins regretted the day that we ever set foot in the woods that night. Then we saw the creature once more. It swooped down from above and picked up its missing half. I ran as fast as I could and tried to get help while my cousins stayed with the girls. I thought that if we ever wanted to get home, I had to run as fast as I could and find as many people as I could. Not too long after, I bumped into the search group and led them to my cousins. 
We went home and never mentioned any of the following events to our elders. We figured that they wouldn't believe us had we told them anyway. And more importantly, get in the hell of a lot of trouble if we told them that we went into the woods at night alone. Whatever happened that night, we kept to ourselves. We never mentioned anything to anyone, because who'd believe a couple of teens who got drunk in the middle of the night anyway? Still, everything that we saw that night was real. I was not drunk, nor were my cousins, who came with me to the woods in the night of that event. We believe that the creature is called a manganau, which is described as in Filipino folklore as an inhuman creature that takes the form of a human by day and grows bat-like wings at night, splitting the body in half. It leaves the lower part hidden somewhere and flies off to feed on fresh meat, poultry, and sometimes human flesh. So don't think that my story's fake, because there's a lot of this events that happened in the past and still happens to this day. Well, that is going to do it for today's episode. I hope that everyone enjoyed the stories. Don't forget to rate and review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. A five-star rating really helps others find us. Make sure to join us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and subscribe on YouTube. If you do enjoy the stories, please consider helping to support the show by subscribing on Patreon with monthly bonus episodes being available from the $5 tier. There's a brand new bonus episode up today, so what are you waiting for? Once again, thank you all for listening, and thank you for a great 2022. Let's see if we can get us to 100,000 total plays this time next year. So please share with all your friends and family that enjoy this kind of content. And make sure to keep those doors and windows locked, and stay ready for Ohio Unsolved. <laughs>